Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist John Brennan. And we've both been struggling with some of our bets and NFL picks the last couple of weeks, but the good news is we've gotten to the bottom of it. We know why we're struggling. Doctors have diagnosed us both with neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome. It's affecting (laughs) our wagering motions. Uh, So we're both going to be out for three to six weeks, and then we'll resume betting. Uh, I don't know about that, Eric. I think we both have over-optimistic outlet syndrome as well. (laughs) (laughs) So I I fear we would both be making more picks within just a few minutes. May God help us all. Um, I will say, of course, if anyone uh, doesn't get what we're referencing, this is uh, a reference to uh, Markel Fultz of the 76ers, who that's the latest diagnosis for whatever the heck is going on with him. I think an interesting bet would be whether Fultz ever plays another game for the Sixers. Uh, I'd I'd, I'd put it around even money, and uh, I might make him uh, minus 200 to play somewhere this season. Got 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 an opinion on any of those lines? It doesn't sound good, uh, both physically and mentally. I I wonder if he's better off just taking the season off. Yeah, well, he almost did that last year. Uh, Looks (laughs) like he might be almost doing it again. Yeah, interesting start for a number one draft pick. He's, He's still young. He's still young. True. All right. Well, uh, we aren't actually taking three to six weeks off, obviously. We're here podcasting. So thank you to everybody out there for joining us for episode number 18 of Gamble On. You can find any of our previous 17 episodes on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. So please subscribe, enjoy, rate, review, and uh, hey, tell a friend. It's the holiday season. Give a friend the gift of turning them on to the Gamble On podcast. All right. And uh, Eric, uh, you know, coming up later in the podcast, obviously, we'll be speaking to Monmouth Park operator Dennis Drazen, who this week celebrated the one year anniversary of the hearing in front of the U.S. Supreme Court that got the ball rolling toward password being declared unconstitutional by the court in May. So we'll talk to Dennis about the state of sports betting in New Jersey. Uh, lots more, really. But first, we have a lot of news to cover. So let's start the show. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. With our three news stories this week, we're going to go from a story with national implications to one focused on one jurisdiction uh, to one focused on one betting site. Uh, But we start with the widest focus, the national story. A draft of a new sports betting bill from Senator Orrin Hatch of Utah surfaced this week. Uh, You wrote about this, John, for our new sister site, SportsHandle.com. Listeners can go there for all the details. Uh, But here are the key elements. This bill would mandate that states obtain approval from the U.S. Attorney General's office before legalizing sports betting, and it would mandate that operators purchase official statistical data from the sports leagues through at least 2022. Uh, The AGA expressed skepticism, saying that federal oversight is unnecessary. The states are doing just fine. John, you talked to different legal experts who shared varying opinions on how realistic it is that this thing goes anywhere, uh, and the fact that Orrin Hatch's tenure in the Senate is about to end would seem significant. So what's your take? Do you see much chance that this goes anywhere or is this going to prove to be a big waste of everyone's time and energy? Well, it's interesting. I think uh, some people in the gaming industry are having kittens over this and I I don't think they really need to. Um, First of all, it's just a draft of the bill, as you say, but, you know, setting minimum standards for state regulations with a presumption of acceptance doesn't strike me as a bad thing. I mean, you think of the Food and Drug Administration, right? I mean, uh, states can do certain things, but they have to make sure that they maintain a minimum standard, you know, across every state. Um, I don't 
I don't, I don't hate that idea. Uh, the concept of a clearinghouse collecting anonymized data uh, to sort of uh, further safeguard against uh, match fixing uh, is interesting. You know, nobody at that recent ICE sports betting summit last week uh, seemed to be sure what to make of the idea. They, they're a little reluctant. Operators were a little reluctant to be sharing information, but if it's anonymized and it helps uh, prevent scandals, which nobody wants, uh, you know, I, I don't think that's uh, out of hand necessarily. Um, this would amend the Wire Act of 1961 to clarify that some data can cross state lines. That seems pretty uh, smart. Um, it stops short of really setting up like a Powerball Mega Millions type scenario where, you know, DraftKings can offer a $20 million prize because uh, you know, they can go, go across all these states per se. But, um, but still, it, it's it's not that objectionable to me. I think, you know, with all that said, uh, with Orrin Hatch retiring and uh, Chuck Grassley is the state's rights champion from Iowa, who is still riding herd over the Senate Judiciary Committee. So uh, to your point, I'll take the money line on big waste of everyone's time in the end. <laughs> OK, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm lousy at predicting what the government is or isn't going to do. My gut tells me that this is a whole lot of nothing. It's not going to ultimately go anywhere. But you don't want to get overconfident about stuff like that. I went down that road with online poker in 2006. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, uh, one of the most interesting details of this bill is that operators will be denied licensing if on or after October 13th, 2006, the company took an illegal Internet wager. Uh, that means PokerStars is sports betting arm bet stars uh, could be out uh, so that's uh, potentially an, an interesting little detail to look out for there yeah you you get the feeling i've read this whole 37 page dense bill and uh it reads like one of those where a different lobbyist gets his own paragraph you know when somebody got one there <laughs> yeah all right well certainly this is still a, a developing story something to track uh, especially if we start getting the sense that someone is going to carry the torch for, for hatch and push this thing next year so we'll keep an eye on it uh but for now moving on to story number two uh going from a, a sports betting bill in dc to an actual dc bill uh the district of columbia council voted nine to two on tuesday to advance its sports betting bill to a second hearing coming up on December 18th. The bill moved forward with no amendments, uh, and it's kind of a troubling bill. Uh, we're all for states or districts uh, legalizing and regulating sports betting, but this one is concerning because it gives a monopoly on online sports betting in D.C. to the D.C. lottery. And a monopoly could mean really bad betting lines, which could mean the whole thing fails because people don't want to place bets in D.C. They'll just go to Virginia or Maryland whenever those states legalize. Another element of this story is that there's an amendment being proposed that includes a royalty for the leagues, uh, 25 cents on every hundred dollars of handle. And that amendment got support from not only the leagues, but also DraftKings, FanDuel and MGM. There's a lot to digest here. Uh, John. Can the single app system work or will it lead to bad lines and betters going to neighboring states instead? And any other thoughts on this story? Well, there's there's nothing like bad lines when you talk about the lottery. Uh, my favorite description of it is it's a tax on people who are bad at math. Um, <laughs> yep. And so if they are going to run a sports book, in a, in a sense, um, you could be the same. Um, the fact is you can make a wild uh, long shot bet, whether it's the lottery or sports betting and you might win and you might win good money. Now the, you know, getting 10 right and you deserve, you know, a thousand to one and you only get a hundred to one or whatever, you, if you still win and you feel excited because you won money. And so the people who play the lottery are not really sensitive to, to lines per se. So you can still get them to add to their, uh, their fix, but 
but you lose the smart people, as you say. There, there's many casual players who accept whatever crappy odds they get. Um, so there's revenue to be made there. But if a neighboring state, uh, Virginia in particular, uh, or Maryland, uh, would offer solid online sports betting odds, that's that's where they're going to get beat, I think. Uh, and the royalty angle for me, you know, it needs to be an issue of whether offering instant in-play bets could harm an operator if there is a way to game the system. We've seen it in tennis already uh, with some, some big tournaments. Uh, and if that's the case, then... You know, maybe operators are better off paying for official real-time data or, as I've said before, just dialing back the instantaneousness of the in-play options because uh, there's a risk there. Uh, requiring an operator to do it is a little bit odd, though. Uh, it, it seems like a, uh, a bottom-line private enterprise decision to be made. Right. And, we, you know, we have to note that that particular amendment hasn't been added to anything yet. It's just sort of floating out there. Um, we should also note that the language of the bill allows D.C. to, quote, rotate or pivot away from the monopoly system if it isn't working. Um, I guess that's good. Sort of, I guess, a little baked in bad idea insurance uh, is how I look at that. Uh, you know, the, the key to succeeding in spite of having bad ideas is to recognize that they're bad ideas and make plans to abandon them later. I don't know. Very odd little. Uh, well, if, if you can get away with it, you know, what the heck? I mean, I, I've said before, you know, Pennsylvania was widely criticized for their massive uh, and New York for the mm -hmm. massive casino tax rates. Oh, that's never going to work. 50% is ridiculous. You know, uh, New Jersey's under 10%. Well, you know, they're, they're cash, they're cash cows for both states. So uh, it's not pretty. You don't have as many um, uh, employees. You don't have as spiffy a casino as you would in, in Atlantic City or Las Vegas. But the bottom line is the state's making money. Uh, this, you know, these odds would be probably terrible <laughs> with the lottery running it. But if they can get away with it, it's it's hard to criticize them too much from from a from a uh, taxpayer standpoint. Yeah, that, that's a good point. It's you know, simple negotiating. Aim aim really high. See if they uh, see if you get shot down and have to come back lower. But you might get away with uh, with with your your high bid. Uh, and the the whole thing though feels like a rush to to beat Maryland and Virginia to market. Um, I I do wish that they would just slow down a little. I, you know, I feel like I'm uh, talking to my kids about their homework. Take your time, do it right the first time, and you won't have to do it a second time. That's sort of the, the rotate or pivot clause feels like uh, they're, they're just rushing through here and, and uh, preparing to have to do it a second time. Well, cynically, it might be a nice cash grab. You know, you you uh, you make lots of money for a year or two before the neighboring states uh, get their act together, and That's then right. you dial back and, and compete with them on a level playing field. Uh, and cynically, it's kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah, good point. That might be exactly what they're thinking. Uh, have the monopoly while we can, and then abandon it. Uh, abandon it once uh, we have competitors in the neighboring states. Yeah. All right, moving on to our third and final story. Uh, getting away from legislative updates, uh, let's talk about uh, sports betting publicity stunts. Uh, FanDuel Sportsbook in New Jersey announced on Friday that all bets placed prior to that moment on Alabama football to win the BCS championship were being declared winners. No waiting for it to play out. Alabama has been so dominant, we're conceding. Uh, 24 hours later, Alabama nearly lost to Georgia, so maybe they aren't the sure thing FanDuel proclaimed them to be. Uh, but no matter, the bets are being paid out. Uh, it counts as a win in parlays, too. Uh, so FanDuel says it will cost them about $400,000. I crunched the numbers, though, and uh, because Alabama is considered a heavy favorite to win the title, uh, and of course, if they do, this really costs FanDuel nothing. They're just paying out the money they would have been paying out anyway. So with that in mind, the true expected value of this payout is something like $105,000. It's no mystery why FanDuel did this for the publicity and the goodwill. 
Uh, FanDuel was bought earlier this year by Patty Power Betfair, and Patty Power has a history of doing this, most famously with Hillary Clinton bets in the 2016 U.S. presidential election, but also with Barack Obama in 2012, with soccer teams, with Jordan Spieth at the 2015 Masters. For this particular Alabama payout, John, do you think the business it generates is worth the price for FanDuel? Oh, I think it's easily worth it. And uh, I pay homage to my Irish counterparts on this front. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's a proven uh, winner for them. Um, they've had the bets. Uh, they've had losing bets and winning bets, and they make money either way. Um, marketing is expensive and getting market share is expensive. Uh, this is a new market. Um, it's a great stunt, even if Alabama doesn't win. It, it makes gamblers kind of chuckle and feel warm and fuzzy, and they talk about it with their friends, and they share it on social media. So um, this is really a tested business model, and, and believe me, they're not losing any sleep over whether Alabama really wins or not. Right. Yeah, I find it interesting from the perspective of how this might influence people to not just sign up with FanDuel and, and deposit money and download the app, which obviously that's really the, the big goal of the publicity stunt here, but also uh, to place futures bets once they are signed up, once they do have money on the site to, to risk a little of it and place those bets. Uh, you know, the example I used in my article on U.S. bets was Duke basketball I threw out there. You know, I, I don't love the current plus 250 odds on them to win it all, but people might see that and think, well, maybe FanDuel will pay it out early. Uh, so that, that adds some theoretical value to taking a bet like that. Yeah, I think the, the cost of customer acquisition in any industry is probably not well understood by the general public. Um, it's just so expensive to get that customer. How do you get them? And so uh, it looks like they're paying out so much money that they maybe don't have to pay. But the attention that they're drawing, including our, our discussion right here, yep. we're, we're contributing <laughs> to the issue as well as your article. Uh, it, it, that's why I say it's a, it's a proven business model. And uh, I kind of applaud them for being uh, this smart. Yeah, we're, we're their huckleberries, John. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. It was one year ago Tuesday that a determined group from New Jersey headed down to Washington, D.C. for a hearing in front of the U.S. Supreme Court to see about reversing the federal ban on sports betting. That hearing was a success. The law known as PASPA was reversed in May. We now have legal sports betting in New Jersey and several other states. And one of the architects of the plan to reverse PASPA, Monmouth Park operator Dennis Drazen, joins us now on the podcast. Dennis, welcome to Gamble On. Thank you very much for having me on today. So my podcast partner, John, uh, who you know well, uh, wrote a story this week uh, about that one-year anniversary, and it was largely about the confidence you and the rest of the people on your side had about the hearing and then the case in front of the Supreme Court. Uh, but you actually formed a partnership with Joe Asher of William Hill U.S. way back in 2012. So is it safe to say you had confidence all the way back then about the eventuality of this result? I did. It was a long uh, road to get there. You know, we didn't anticipate uh, Christie one, Christie two, and then ending up in the Supreme Court. Uh, but I was confident when I reviewed the laws and evaluated the legal theories that there would be a path to having sports betting in New Jersey and probably throughout the country. It was just a question of when, not if. 
and so would would you say overall that uh, you were surprised it took as long as it did or uh, something like uh, six years or so from when you got the ball rolling might have been in range of, of what you expected? No, I was very surprised that it took as long as it did. Um, I thought it would be an easier path. I had hoped, uh, you know, without any real reason to hope that perhaps, you know, the matter could be resolved at some point uh, with the leagues, but that wasn't meant to be. So back in 2012, when we decided to walk down this road of sports betting, the first thing I considered was, you know, you get a person that comes in that you don't know, they want to make a hundred thousand dollar bet on an obscure game that I know nothing about. And do I want to take that bet or do I want to have someone to manage the risk? And I quickly concluded that I needed somebody to manage the risk. And because we were in the forefront of trying to move this, I was contacted by a number of companies uh, that existed not only in this country, but in other parts of the world. And I sat and I met with some of them. Some of the conversations were just, you know, by phone. But Joe Asher flew out, uh, as did some others. And I sat down with Joe and, you know, we built a relationship. And I had a lot of confidence in Joe and William Hill. And I thought that when it happened, because I knew someday we would be having sports betting in New Jersey, that William Hill should be our partner. So we entered into an agreement that if and when uh, sports betting became legal in New Jersey, that William Hill would be the operator for Monmouth Park. And we started in 2013 uh, to build out our sports book, you know, thinking that we would be able to operate that year and the rest of the history, I'm sure you know. Right. Yeah, that is, uh, you know, tell our listeners about the, the sports book uh, and the teller options you have at Monmouth Park. Uh, a lot of uh, listeners, I just heard from one from Australia who's now a fan. So uh, a lot of people haven't been to your uh, Jersey Shore uh, racetrack. So, uh, you know, what, what do they have? What do you have now? And what can they look forward to in the next year or so? Sure. So in 2013, we built out a sports book that was in a old cafeteria and we, you know, spent a million and a half to design that room. It's kind of an upscale, uh, glitzy type of uh, sports bar where in the interim, while we were waiting for sports betting, uh, we built up a database of fans that came in and, you know, they watched horse racing, they watched some sports And that room held 300. And so when I left Washington on December 4th, I was convinced that we won the case. I mean, I was as close to a guarantee as one could predict. And so the following day, I met with my team here at Monmouth Park, and we decided we were going to proceed uh, to renovate the grandstand area because we knew that a room that held 300 would be too small knowing the appetite that we anticipated for sports betters in New Jersey. So we began construction and the expansion into our grandstand area, uh, probably in early January of that year in combination with William Hill. And we put in, it's a large space there, probably holds 7,500 to 10,000 people. We put in 15 ticket writer windows. Uh, so we would have enough, staff in order to accommodate what we anticipated the bets would be. 
And then when we actually opened for business, we felt that that area was going to be too small. We wanted to encourage people to come to Monmouth Park, to sit, to be engaged, not only in wagering on a game, but on the in-play functions. And we wanted to have a nice atmosphere and good food and beverage where they could come and enjoy themselves and socialize because uh, some people like to watch these things alone, but most want to socialize with other people who have common rooting interests or even opposing rooting interests. It's the thrill of, you know, the sport. So we spread out into the other side of our grandstand. Uh, we purchased a large screen uh, video board, which is 75 feet by eight feet that encompasses that entire second half. We put in a new bank of additional TVs uh, so we could watch horse racing at the same time that you're conducting sports betting. And there's been a good appetite for it. We increased our food and beverage. We added a couple of other amenities to make people comfortable and give them uh, a reason to come and stay. And then the second part of your question is part of our agreement with William Hill they, by contract, are obligated to build another Las Vegas-style sports book on the clubhouse side of our facility. Currently planning to be in a, an area, for those that know Mammoth, uh, around the Lady's Secret Cafe, which is an area that overlooks the paddock. And uh, it's a different area of the track where people come in off valley parking and the clubhouse you know, has different aspects of it, but it's another large venue that we think will accommodate the fans. There are some other discussions that we're having about perhaps locating that new venue uh, on the valet parking side of the building, uh, which isn't too far from the Ladies' Secret, but it's more where you come in off the highway and come to the facility itself and that venue probably is going to be somewhere between a five and ten million dollars spent. Wow! So I already asked you about the six years uh, between uh, the ideas germinating and uh, and uh, sports betting uh, becoming legal in New Jersey. Now I'm curious about the the six months since then, or almost six months now. Um, what surprised you the most, Dennis, in these almost six months since sports betting went live in New Jersey? Well, the surprise wasn't so much uh, any deviation from what I originally anticipated. So the crowds were there and, you know, there's a healthy appetite in New Jersey for sports betting. I guess if I wanted to try and talk about surprises, maybe it was just the way I viewed things Uh, so that... You know, originally, before we started actually doing this, we thought what was important was, like, how much handle do you have? How how much wagering is going on at the facility? How much do you have in crowds? And I quickly learned that it doesn't matter how much they bet. It matters how much you win. (laughs) Uh, So certainly we like our fans to win because that makes them keep coming back and wagering again. But. You know, it all of a sudden became obvious that, you know, you, you could have your best day ever in terms of the volume. And if you don't win that day because everybody uh, gets lucky or skill, um, that, you know, that that's not a good day for the sports book, but it's a good day for your fans. So there was one day uh, during the meet 
during the uh, season so far uh, that all the books lost, you know, and that's just part of life. You know, you win the rest of the year. So, you know, it all evens out. And, you know, I think that the other thing that kind of surprised me, but not really because I was in the middle of all this. So we were, we were engaged in the litigation, the New Jersey thoroughbred horsemen, was a party. I was involved in the drafting and movement of the legislation. But I I guess what surprised me to some extent was that nobody else was ready to open. Hmm. Uh, We were all ready. We had spent our money. Uh, Even after December, when most of the legal scholars out there and you guys in the press uh, thought that New Jersey won and we'd have a victory, the casinos really didn't do anything to move forward so when the victory came we were ready no one else was and we had to slow down a little bit for others to catch up and you know the legislature uh, put in some transactional waiver provisions so people could really get started even though they hadn't built out their facilities Uh, so I just thought they'd be more engaged you know the vision that I saw where we were definitely you know, going to win this case. And you know, I get it if before December, some people doubted whether we would win. I know, you know, I was very confident, but there were many others that were in the other camp. And once December came around, I, you know, I would have thought everybody would be all in and they just weren't. Uh, yeah, Dennis, uh, talk about how far back your history goes in uh, thoroughbred racing. Uh, you know, we, uh, that's sort of uh, at the heart of your passion. Uh, sports betting has been a nice addition, but uh, I'm, I'm curious about uh, tell people uh, your background in, in the sport and also what kind of future you see both for Monmouth Park and, and overall for all uh, thoroughbred racing in the United States. Well, you know, my history in uh, horse racing goes back quite a while. Um, in 1958, my father took me out. I was a kid. He took me out to see my first horse race. He had purchased a horse and it was love at first sight. And, you know, I became involved in the business when I was old enough to become active myself. I became very involved uh, with a childhood friend. Uh, we got involved in racing and breeding and Probably at the height of my involvement, I had about 150 horses, both between the breeding stock and my racing stock, and had considerable success in the business. And I began working for the horsemen, uh, both as a lawyer, because my main business is the legal profession. I became working for the horsemen, first as their legal counsel, legislative counsel, uh, moving into different positions, becoming the president of the organization. And in my second term as president, uh, Governor Corzine, who was on his way out, and Governor Christie, who was on his way in, appointed me as chairman of the New Jersey Racing Commission. So I thought that that role would be a good role where I could help the industry because my, my goal was always to enhance and preserve thoroughbred racing. And much to my surprise, uh, I got into that position. I was trying to do the best I could for the horsemen. And Governor Christie decided that he was going to eliminate subsidies and close both Monmouth Park and the Meadowlands unless private operators stepped up to the plane and decided to take over the tracks. 
he didn't feel that the New Jersey taxpayers should be saddled with the burden of running racing operations, which were losing money. So Mr. Garral, Jeff Garral, stepped up to the plate and operated up at the Meadowlands, and I led the fight of the New Jersey thoroughbred horsemen to take over Monmouth Park, which we were successful in doing. But here I'm faced with a challenge that racing is declining. The subsidies that we enjoyed for not pursuing expansion of gaming outside of Atlantic City because they had a strong hold on preserving that monopoly, we, we had no money. And we were in a position where we had an uphill fight to preserve thoroughbred racing. So in my view, people asked me, why are you doing this? And it was always, I'm doing it to preserve an industry that represents 13,000 jobs in New Jersey, 176,000 open and preserved acres. It's a $4 billion economic industry, according to a Rutgers study that they analyzed the industry. And now we're confronted with closure. I, mean, I had no ability to do anything. Casino expansion was a remote chance, but Governor Christie said, I'm going to let you run with the ball on sports betting. You know, we have this constitutional uh, amendment. Uh, we have legislation. Uh, thank you to Senator Lesniak for championing this issue. And, you know, he gave us the opportunity to run with the ball. And I, at Monmouth Park, was the only one willing to run with that ball because no other racetrack or casino wanted to run the risk of perhaps offending regulators in other states. Sports betting was illegal under federal law. And every other racetrack and casino in the state had licenses and they were concerned about regulatory concerns. Monmouth Park only operated in New Jersey, so we didn't have those same concerns, and I took up the fight. Uh, so my goal, and you know, it's still my goal, is to preserve thoroughbred racing in the state, to help our standardbred brothers uh, preserve their industry. And I think the future of the industry is very rosy right now. Sports betting is a viable economic stability engine that will help both breeds. Uh, and the operators in the state preserve their racetracks and be able to enhance them and get more people to come. And the more people that come, the more revenues that you earn. And the other thing that I see happening, you know, got my fingers crossed, but our legislature is going to be considering this month a subsidy for the industry. And we're very hopeful uh, that the legislators will reinstate uh, some subsidy uh, to the industry that we lost uh, back in 2010. Great. Really, really interesting stuff. Certainly, uh, we, we wish you and the rest of the industry uh, luck with uh, with that subsidy and uh, with everything moving forward. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, Dennis. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, and, uh, of course, on behalf of uh, the whole uh, sports betting industry, uh, thanks again for the, the role that you played in helping to overturn PASPA. My pleasure. You know, I have to take a minute to tell you that John Brennan throughout the litigation was probably one of the best people out there that really covered in depth uh, the fight and the issues involved. And, you know, I want to thank John for all those efforts because uh, 
it really put it in good perspective, made my life easier having him explain a lot of the things that I would otherwise have to do. Uh, thanks. I really appreciate that, Dennis. Uh, you know, obviously there was less and less coverage of the horse racing industry. And so, you know, what I did cover, uh, I got tremendous feedback from uh, all the horsemen in New Jersey at, at every level, from a teller to an owner, to a breeder, um, to a jockey, to a driver. Um, you know, so it's been been a good two-way communication. There's a big thirst for information about this industry. And, uh, you know, I've been more than happy to uh, try and explain it as best I can. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Dennis. Okay. Good day, guys. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We will get to the Fast Five shortly, but we start, as always, with our shared bankroll. And this week, in addition to reviewing the results that we have in, we're going to take an extra couple of minutes to dive deeper than usual on the state of our futures bets. Uh, but first, the results. John, uh, you went two for two on college football as Oklahoma covered for a $100 profit and Georgia covered for a $150 profit. I gave $110 back uh, with my bet on the over in the Rams-Lions game. Also, uh, I made a $100 bet on a plus 440 long shot a few weeks ago on Deontay Wilder to beat Tyson Fury by decision. I was right about it going the distance, but the decision was a draw. Uh, so that's another $100 loss, leaving us up $40 compared to last week. Uh, thanks again, uh, John, for strapping me on your back and carrying the team. I like the sound of that. <laughs> now let's discuss our futures bets. Uh, we have the Browns over five and a half wins. They're four, seven, and one. So they need to go two and two in the following games. Home for Carolina at Denver. Home for the Bengals at Baltimore. We're definitely the underdogs here, but it's not impossible. Uh, what do you think our chances are, John? Mm, Eric, I'd say about 50-50. In fact, I'd also say the biggest game being this week. Um, yep. But it's just tough for me to ignore the possibility of 5-10-1 not being a push on a 5.5 win <laughs> bet, though. Because it's not a push, I'm afraid to say. Yeah, that's a, a frustrating uh, reality of, of how this bet works. Uh, but I'm, I'm with you that this week is the key against Carolina, kind of a must-win for our bet. We also have a bet, uh, not for quite as much money as the Browns bet, thankfully, because uh, it's looking uh, a bit worse uh, on the Dolphins to go under six and a half wins. They're six and six, so they need to go 0 and four against the Patriots at home, Vikings on the road, Jaguars at home, and Bills on the road. They'll be underdogs in the first two, at least. Uh, what do you think, John? Are we drawn dead here? Uh, I'm not so sure. I, I'd be interested in a money line on 0-4 here. You know, the Jaguars showed a little spunk last week. Uh, mm -hmm. The Bills, for some reason, never quit when they're always out of it. Uh, and they were angry about that recent loss to the Dolphins. So uh, I'm, I'm saying there's a chance. Okay. Yeah, the, the Dolphins have confounded me all season. I could see them upsetting the Patriots this week and ending the bet. <laughs> I could also see them heading into Buffalo in Week 17 at 6-9 and nine with nothing but pride to play for, and then we're looking okay. So we'll see. And the and then they went anyway just to cry. Right. <laughs> right, right. That would be the most brutal ending, I think. Yep. Uh, in the NBA, we have the Celtics over 57.5 wins and the Spurs under 43.5. Your Spurs bet is looking good for now. They're 11 and 14. My Celtics bet is looking shaky. They're 13 and 10, which means they need to go 45 and 14 the rest of the way. Although they have won three straight, they might be starting to gel. Anything to comment on there? Uh, well, I'm, I'm figuring, let's see, the Spurs would have to go. 
33 and 24 down the stretch to beat me. Um, they have a homestand coming up, but I, I think I've got a winner. Uh, Celtics, uh, that's an uphill battle, my friend. <laughs> it is. Uh, all right, a, a bunch of quick ones here. Uh, Royce Freeman to win the rushing title for 20 bucks at 80 to 1 is a total bust. Uh, on the NFL MVP front, Todd Gurley at plus 1,800 and Patrick Mahomes at plus 275. Both got some help from Drew Brees' dud against the Cowboys. Mahomes is now about plus 135. Gurley sits around plus 2,000. Uh, the Eagles to win the NFC East isn't looking so great, but if they can upset the Cowboys this week, they're back to 50-50-ish. The long shot plus 800 pick on Jared Goff to win the passing yards title is alive, but he needs a big finish. He's in fourth place, 191 yards behind leader Ben Roethlisberger. And just last week, I bet on the Bears to win the NFC North at minus 380. And even though they lost to the Giants, they became even bigger favorites, now minus 750, because both the Vikings and the Packers lost. So uh, anything to comment on with any of that stuff? Uh, yeah, that's a lot to digest, but I, I don't hate any of these aside from that Freeman long shot play, which was only for 20 bucks. <laughs> right. Uh, we're we're going to make some money uh, overall on that somehow, some way. I hope so. Uh, we are we are looking good on our, our current standing, but uh, those those futures have me worried. Something's got to come through there uh, to keep us uh, in, in the black. But I uh, add it all up uh, at the moment. We are in the black by four hundred seventy dollars. Uh, and then we have two thousand and fifty tied up in futures bets. So that leaves us with eight thousand four hundred twenty to bet with this week. And you're up first. Uh, well, Eric, uh, it's only one college football game this week, so I can't pass it up. Uh, Army-Navy. Uh, I'm going to go 165 to win 150 on the under at 40 and a half points. Uh, rivalry games are complicated, obviously, and this is the one of the best rivalries of all. But Army's rushing game plays in any weather, anywhere. So does their defense. Uh, Philadelphia's going to watch Navy's offense get sunk, so to speak. So 165 to win 150. All right. Well, I'm actually uh, driving in your lane here uh, with, with my bet, John. Uh, I'm gonna. I don't follow follow college football closely at all. Haven't seen one minute of Army or Navy playing this year. Um, but I heard a podcaster who seems to know his stuff uh, say that the Army Navy game is almost always slow paced, low scoring, and close. So that uh, first of all, that that goes nicely with your bet of the under. Um, but the podcaster offered the advice uh, of taking. Uh, the seven-point underdog Navy to cover the spread. So I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to follow his advice, put $100 of our money uh, on Navy to uh, not lose by more than the touchdown. Uh, so as the relative college football expert among us, uh, what do you think? Is that, a, is that a decent bet? Yeah, I think, I think we both got a shot at winning there. Okay, cool. And uh, we also have the MLS Cup coming Saturday night for uh, for meat and potato sports fans may, may not be too aware of it. It's uh, Atlanta United against the Portland Timbers. Uh, that's soccer for those of you who don't follow Major League <laughs> Soccer. Uh, Atlanta, it's funny, it's as bad a sports town as I've ever visited. And I visited all of them in the NBA and NHL traveling beat writer days. Um, but somehow they draw 70000 a game for this team. It's incredible. The building will be electric, and the idea of having Tata Martino leave as a champion is enough for me to lay Atlanta 200 uh, at minus 230 to win 288. Okay, little preview of uh, what it's going to be like uh, after uh, football season is over and we're uh, grasping at straws to come up with stuff to bet on. Um, as for my final bet here, uh, I'm going to back to boxing, uh, despite my recent failure with the Fury-Wilder fight. The best pound-for-pound -pound boxer in the world, Vasily Lomachenko, uh, fights this Saturday night at Madison Square Garden. It's on ESPN following the Heisman Trophy presentation. Lomachenko is a minus-2300 favorite versus Jose Pedraza. 
it's not worth risking 2300 bucks to win 100 but Lomachenko is minus 220 to win by knockout and I think he will Lomachenko isn't a huge puncher but he's so good that he either beats guys up until their corner stops it or he frustrates them until they quit or both uh, so I will put 220 on Lomachenko at those minus 220 odds to win by KO TKO or DQ and we wrap up with the fast five after week 12 I was 29 28 and 3 you were 29 30 and 1 and neither of us is in boast mode this week as in week 13 I went 2 and 3 you went one and four, uh, but we're going to shake it off and stay positive in week 14. Uh, I, I'm dead even right now at 31, 31 and three. Uh, your cold streak has dropped you to 30, 34 and one. You need to turn it around this week to get back in the hunt for the Adam Small Cup. Uh, and you're up first. Yeah, <laughs> this is brutal. I had a winning record all season, uh, generally around 53 to 57 percent, which is very respectable. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's not easy to pick these games. Um, then out of nowhere came 0 and 5 and 1 and 4 weeks. So, uh, <laughs> yep. you know, while there are a lot of fluky losses and I, I did the uh, wine and cheese on that last week, um, <laughs> the fact is I've only had one clear winner in two weeks, the Seahawks over the 49ers that we both had last week. And yeah. Yeah, that just doesn't cut it. If you if you set yourself up to be in the games in the final minute, you can get beat on all of them. If you pick a, a really good game, you, you're you coasting in the fourth quarter. So I worked a little harder this week, and here we go. Uh, first, the Browns. Yes, the Browns. Uh, pick them versus the Panthers. Um, Cam Newton is more banged up than the Panthers will admit. Uh, Greg Olson, I saw him play in high school, by the way, and he was good, uh, is out for the season. And something is rotten in the state of North Carolina. So I'm pretty confident with the Browns at home. Uh, number two, Saints giving nine and a half points at the Buccaneers. Tough to give that many points on the road, division game. But the Saints have something to prove, and I, and I think they will. Third, I'm going to go Eagles plus four at Cowboys. Uh, they have won four straight, all by single digits. The last two at home on Thursdays with extra rest. Um, they get that again here. But I think the Eagles are finding just enough equilibrium to uh, to hang in this division race. They do have pride, if nothing else. Uh, fourth, uh, Lions minus one and a half at the Cardinals. Uh, the Lions don't score a lot of points, clearly. Uh, but they're competitive every week. And they've been playing teams with winning records for two months now. Um, so a step down in class, as they say in the horse trade, uh, is going to be to their liking, I think. So they should win that one handily. Uh, finally, I have the Seahawks. Again, uh, minus three versus the Vikings. Uh, December football and the Seahawks and their fans, they know what that means. Uh, They're going to find a way to run on the Vikings and get closer to locking in a fifth seed for the playoffs, which I expect them to have before well before week 17. All right. Well, we're going to be a bit adversarial this week. We've got two uh-huh. head two head to heads uh, among Uh-oh. our five. Uh, I'll get to those in a bit. The first couple that I have here are not games that you uh, weighed in on. First, uh, I've done pretty well lately picking my spots, betting on the Bills. Uh, they're favored by three and a half at home against the Jets, a team they crushed by 31 points in New York a few weeks ago. The Bills defense is solid. LaShawn McCoy has gotten healthy. They're at home. And Sam Darnold has been playing like a rookie. So I like Buffalo to cover. Uh, Next, it's dangerous to go against the Chiefs. They can put up 50 points against most defenses. But the Ravens aren't most defenses. This line, Chiefs by eight and a half, it's just a little too wide to me. It feels more like a game that should be something like seven. Uh, but, you know, the public has fun betting on the Chiefs, and there's nothing fun about Baltimore. So I get why the line is where it is. Uh, I don't really expect the Ravens to go into Arrowhead and win, uh, but I think they can go in there and keep it close. So I've got Baltimore there. My next pick is one of our head-to-heads. Uh, it's another big underdog like the Ravens. Uh, I'm taking the Bucks at home. 
getting nine and a half points against the Saints. Tampa Bay has been looking frisky lately. Uh, They can put up points. The Saints defense isn't great. Would I be shocked if New Orleans won this game by 30? No, no, I would not. Um, But to me, I think the more likely outcome is Tampa staying within a score or two of them. And uh, this game has definite backdoor cover potential. You know, even if the Bucks are down 14, 15, 16, something like that late, uh, they might get that garbage time touchdown to, to pull out the cover. Uh, for my last two bets, I'm turning to the NFC East. Uh, Washington has been decimated by injuries like no other team in the league. I feel bad for their fans. This season had promise, but they're partially a JV team at this point. And the Giants have enough varsity players, especially at their skill positions. You know, Saquon Barkley, OBJ. I think the Giants' talent will carry them on the road where I'm getting two and a half points with them. This one almost feels too good to be true, which we felt that way about the Colts last week. So uh, maybe it is too good to be true, but I'm taking the Giants at plus two and a half. And lastly, uh, our other head-to-head, I'm going to finish with the emotional hedge. Uh, I'm rooting for you to get this right. I'm rooting for the Eagles on Sunday afternoon. I need them to beat Dallas in Dallas to stay alive in the playoff hunt. I don't really believe they can. I, I was surprised that the Cowboys are only minus four here. I thought they'd be more like minus six. Uh, if you watched the way these teams played the last few weeks, uh, that you know that minus four means you're making Dallas only a one-point favorite on a neutral field. I don't know. It, that doesn't look like they're that evenly matched to me. So I got to do it. The, the brain says pick the Cowboys. I hope to be wrong. I'm rooting for, for your pick over mine, uh, but at least this would give me a tiny little silver lining if the Eagles lose. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Uh, thanks to everybody out there for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow U.S. Bets at U.S. underscore Bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And with that, I hand it over to you, John, to take us out. Well, Eric, as I always say, uh, gamble on. But for now, not with my NFL picks.